everybody. Welcome to another episode of Supernatural George. I'm Mittens, and today we are going to be discussing Season 5, Episode 4, The End. And uh, hopefully I can get through it. Written by Ben Edlund and directed by Steve Boyum. And y'all know I love Ben Edlund, right? I even love this episode. But I also hate this episode. It's number 86 in the series, and honestly, that feels like a good description of my feelings about it as anything. 86, you know, chuck it out. (laughs) Anyway, I'll issue my standard disclaimer that I always give when this episode comes up for discussion. I don't discuss it. Every other episode in the series is up for debate, except this one. I just can't. In order for my brain to maintain normal mitten service levels of functioning, I have to maintain my understanding of what this episode is. And luckily for me, later canon seems to bear it out as, at the very least, plausible, if not fully confirmed correct. Let's start by exploring what I mean by that. And sorry for the brief tangent, there's going to be a lot of them during this episode. Fair warning. Angels. Some of them are specialists. They have special talents that no other angels seem to possess. We already learned that fact about Uriel, smiter of cities. We'll learn in season 13 that Cass has a specialty as well, stripping memories from minds, a power he swore he'd never use on anyone without their consent until he was driven to use it on Donatello to save everybody's lives and all that. And everybody was horrified about it. We learned that the alternate universe version of Castiel was forced to use this power to torture people for heaven. And either doing that or repeatedly being reprogrammed and tortured just damaged that version of Cass in horrific ways. But like our Cass has the same power. In the alternate universe, we learned that their Zachariah had a special power to invade minds, which he used on both Lucifer and Jack, giving them explicitly real-feeling visions of his choosing. And because of everything else I just said, and because it's always how I viewed what Zachariah showed Dean in this episode, I 100% believe that everything Dean experienced in that quote-unquote future was entirely fabricated by Zachariah inside Dean's mind and did not involve time travel or some alternate universe. I might be flexible enough to say that, yes, this could have been some pop-up bubble of a universe that Zachariah created for Dean to explore within, but that's not how Zachariah's powers work, and that's not how we've been shown that Zachariah's power works. He's into decoupage. He creates collages out of false things. And I think this is just his decoupage inside Dean's head. And that's the core of how I have to see and understand this episode. And it has been since the first time I ever watched it back in like 2012. This episode is what first pushed me to seek out Meta. Because I couldn't resolve how it made me feel, but I also owe this episode for everything I found once I started looking for the meta-fandom. So, hey, throw that on the pile of mixed feelings that I have about this episode. Everything Dean experiences in this episode was intended by Zachariah to teach him a lesson. Dean was non-compliant with Heaven's orders to just shut up, say yes, and get the apocalypse over with already. Unfortunately for Zachariah, his lesson showing the alternative if Dean refused to say yes, this hopeless, pointless, dead-end hellscape where everything he ever loved was ruined or dead, it taught Dean the opposite lesson from the one Zachariah wanted him to learn. Yay! Anyway, I'm going to skim the surface of the plot on this one for my own sanity, But I will be going through just to point out everything that confirms my read on it, just for my own sake. I'm taking an episode that could otherwise do very bad things to my brain and picking out the bits I need to carry with me. I hope that's not disappointing to anyone, 
and I'll do my best to include a lot of interesting tidbits as we go through it. Because there are a lot of interesting tidbits, a couple things that make my heart clench with joy and agony, and a couple that just make me roll my eyes like, oh God, why did you do this, Mr. Ben Edlund? That said, I have not gone through my own past notes for this one, again, for my own sake, but I'll link all of them in the notes for anyone who wants to read through them. There's a few interesting production notes, too, like the location where Sam and Dean's reunion happens at the end of the episode is the same spot where they filmed the scene in 121 Salvation, where they parted ways with John. Of course, we have the known alteration in the aired version from the scripted version, or the original script. I mean, it was obviously revised. This was not a choice made by Jensen and Misha on the spot to change the dialogue here. This was a early draft of the script. In the scene where future Cass is driving in the car with Dean, the aired version reads, Except I used to belong to a much better club, and now I'm powerless, I'm hapless, I'm hopeless. I mean, why the hell not bury myself in women and decadence, right? It's the end, baby. That's what decadence is for. Why not bang a few gongs before the lights go out? But then that's just how I roll. But the original version of the script read, But instead, we become this. The only thing I think we have left, Dean and me, is each other. If Dean says it's time to go out in a blaze of glory, win or lose, so be it. I'm in. But then that's just how I roll. That is a very different statement and a very different tone and I understand completely why it got changed. I personally choose to incorporate it as confirmation that Zachariah was truly just trying to manipulate Dean with this vision, showing him the worst possible version he could imagine. And the original script was just too earnest and honest and true to Castiel as a character, not to Zachariah's interpretation of Castiel. It's what I could imagine an actual version of Cass saying, not Zachariah's hallucinatory version, you know? It's just too Cass. (laughs) But the original version was probably far closer to the truth, and the aired version is more the devastating wreckage that Zachariah understood as the complete ruination of a warrior of God and the most nihilistic version of humanity Cass could fall to. And so while I love the original because the Destiel of it, I appreciate the aired version so much. Finally, we have a few other bonus items to go along with this one. Uh, An Entertainment Weekly interview with Jensen about the episode and the filming of it. Two promo videos, one from the CW and one from Space TV. And if you have the Blu-ray or the DVDs, there's a commentary track with Ben Edlund and Eric Kripke for anyone who's interested in what they have to say about the episode. I'm not. (laughs) I've listened to it in the very distant past, but what they think of it is fine. How I understand it incorporated into the rest of canon is my own business. Well, and I'm making it everybody else's business by making a podcast about it. So, that said, let's zip forward into the then segment. We begin with a reminder of Croatoan going all the way back to season two. We then go back to season one to be reminded about the cult. The original kill anything weapon on Supernatural, even though as of yet we don't know that there are exceptions to that kill anything rule, and one of them happens to be Lucifer. So the whole plot of this episode, focusing around finding that cult because that's the only thing that could kill the devil, and Dean throwing away everyone else's lives, including his own and Cass's, just to get a shot to kill Lucifer in Sam's body. It's kind of horrifying when when you know that in six more episodes, they're going to discover that the cult is utterly useless against Lucifer, and he knew it all along. It really does kind of drive home the devastation of this episode that Zachariah had been hoping to instill in them. Next up, we get a reminder of who Zachariah is telling Dean that he is the vessel for Michael. 
And then we get Lucifer trying to convince Sam to say yes to him because Sam is Lucifer's true vessel. Then we get Sam telling Dean, I know you don't trust me. I don't trust me. I'm dangerous. Maybe it's best we go our separate ways. And then they do. But that was two episodes ago. And now, after they've had a whole entire episode of trauma to cope with, they're at least going to get back in touch. Dean pulls up to a curb in front of a motel where a preacher is handing out pamphlets to people asking if their soul is rapture ready. As Dean parks and gets out and walks into the motel room, the preacher comes up holding a brochure that says, God is love. And he asks Dean if Dean stopped to think about God's plan for him. And Dean's like, yeah, too freaking much. But as soon as Dean walks away, the preacher looks around kind of shifty like, because we know he's the one. All the preachers were probably visited by angels asking them to report back if they, you know, say a little prayer if you see any of these people on this list. And it's Sam and Dean. As Dean settles into his crappy motel room, he's on the phone with Cass, who's standing by a roadside. And he can't hear what Dean's saying as a truck drives by. And it's like, dude, Cass, you could transport yourself to anywhere in the world. Someplace quiet with good cell phone reception, not where trucks are passing. Like, that is within your power. Even if you can't locate Dean without Dean telling you where he is, you could go someplace quiet. Anyway, I just find that funny. Cass has got a lead on the cult that Dean assumed had, you know, the demons had probably destroyed by now. Why would they have kept it around when it can kill them? Cass hears different, and he thinks it's a good tool for them to find to use against Lucifer, which would be great if it actually worked on Lucifer. But Cass doesn't know it doesn't. And this just probably happened to be the first thing at the top of Dean's mind when Zachariah comes in and zaps him into the hellscape of Croatoan land and why that was alternate Dean's mission through the entire episode that he still hadn't been able to find that cult because right now it's giving him a thread of hope. Zachariah needs to cut all hope for Dean. So of course that would be the plot of this episode. Cass asks where Dean is. We've got a plan to find this gun. We're going to get on that right now. And Dean's like, no, 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 wait. I just drove 16 hours. I need sleep. He's in Kansas City. Dean just asks for four hours. Kaz is like, okay, well, then I'll just wait here then. And then he just proceeds to stand there for four hours (laughs) waiting for Dean, not intruding on Dean's space. Dean told him no. But this is a Cass who is on a mission looking for God. He hasn't abandoned that mission, but he's paused it long enough to stop and wait and help Dean do the one thing that Dean thinks might be their only chance. Cass agrees. Finding this gun might be the only way to kill the devil. A little later on, we see the clock on Dean's nightstand. It's 4.15 in the morning. His phone rings again, and he answers it as if it was Cass. He doesn't even look at the caller ID. He's just like, damn it, Cass, I need to sleep. Except it's not Cass. It's Sam. Rude of you, Sam, for calling at 4 freaking 15 in the morning. But granted, he probably can't sleep because I believe this coincides with the visitation in his nightmare he had about Lucifer and what Lucifer revealed to him about being his vessel. So I believe their timeline has now synced back up again. He tells Dean the whole horrific story. He's Lucifer's vessel, and Dean is actually sorry for him. He's like, yeah, just when you get out, they pull you back in, huh? Dean wants out, too, but this episode is Zachariah's attempt to push Dean into saying yes. Dean asks Sam what he wants to do about it all. Sam's like, well, I want back in. I don't want to be these guys' puppet anymore. Dean's like, well, I don't think this is a good idea, but revenge, really? Is that what's motivating you? Yeah, no. Try again. Sam says he doesn't want revenge. He wants redemption. And Dean has doubts about this. What, like, we're just supposed to be the dynamic duo and defeat everything? No, that, that's that been broken for far longer than even just this season. Sam wants to earn his redemption, not just for what he did, but specifically from Dean. He wants Dean to trust him again. He wants Dean's respect. He knows he doesn't have it right now. 
And Dean's like, yeah, no, turns out we are fire and oil and the universe has set it up this way and there's nothing we can do. And the best thing we can do is pick opposite sides of the planet and stay the hell away from each other. Dean goes on about how they are weaker together. They're stronger apart because whenever they're together, whatever they have between them, love, family, whatever, their enemies will use that against them. You can see how it's breaking Dean's heart to say all of this, but right now his plan doesn't extend beyond just hiding from Lucifer and Michael, just avoiding letting them get their way with them because they understand what the alternative is, tortured into saying yes. And Dean's like, no, we're just better off not even putting ourselves in that situation. And he just cuts things off with Sam. And we, the viewers, all know that they're always stronger together, that anytime one of them goes off on their own and does their own thing and tries to protect the other or tries to protect themselves from the other, it always goes poorly. And that's the other premise of Zachariah's vision that he shows Dean. Sam is gone forever. You never see him again. He succumbs and says yes, and then it's all over. And you spend all this time futilely searching for the cult when it was worthless all this time anyway. And the only thing you could have done to save the world, yourself and your brother, was to have said yes to Michael, which you refused to do. And now he won't even come back to finish the job because the angels just locked themselves up in heaven and have abandoned the earth to Lucifer as if that would actually ever happen. It's not really a plausible future outcome based on what we know about any of these people, especially Chuck, who is here as the toilet paper counter and not as God himself, because we know what the angels think about Chuck. They don't know who he really is, and he likes it that way. He likes seeing these angels puff themselves up. It's drama to him. We come back to Dean's motel room in daylight. The clock still reads 4.15, though, as if Zachariah's interference stopped it right at that time when Dean hung up. No further time passed, or even before Sam's call. Like, that's when we saw the clock at 4.15. And now the glass is shattered, and it stopped. Time is not passing here now. This is unreality now. Dean wakes up in a very different room. It's the same room, except the bed is down to springs. It looks like it's been through a war. His stuff's not there. The window's even gone. He looks outside and sees this war-torn hellscape of a town. On the cinema marquee down the road, it says, Now playing Route 666 which is another callback to Chuck's books. Remember how heavily the poster for that one featured in the season premiere episode. Even Becky had a poster of it up on her wall. And now we're getting reminded of it again. Chuck's hand in all of this. Even if Zachariah thinks he's just riffing on the prophet's material. And then we get the title card. As Dean is absolutely floored by everything he's seeing. Dean finds the first sign of life, a little girl crouched down in an alley over a stuffed toy, and he approaches her, and blood just drips out of her mouth, and then as he gets close enough, she attacks him with a knife. As Dean looks around, he sees the sign painted on the wall, Croatoan, and he understands what this girl is. She cuts him, though. We'll notice when he wakes up after all of this is over, when Cass comes to collect him, he's not injured like that. The injury doesn't survive it. It's not happening in reality. He's not been transported anywhere. This is just in his mind. At least, that's how I'm talking about it. He gets run out of town by people infected with Croatoan. He luckily runs faster than them. I'm sure everybody's heard the story about filming these scenes where Jensen kept running too fast for all the Croatoan people to keep up with him. And he had to keep redoing the take and trying to run a little slower so they could all stay in the shot together because nobody else could run as fast as him, (laughs) which I think is awesome. Eventually, Dean runs up to a fence that he can't get past, and he thinks, oh, God, I'm going to die right here. When gunfire opens up from the other side of the fence and starts mowing down all the Croatoan people, 
and it's like military trucks blasting do you love me over the speakers as the soldiers just mow down this whole crowd. Dean ducks away and finds a way to escape. Later that night, under cover of darkness, he sees a sign, no entry by order of acting regional command, August 1st, 2014, Kansas City. It's an old sign. There's like I don't know, bloodstains on it, maybe? Rust? I don't know. But this whole fence setup looks pretty, uh, like it's been there a while. I know the common theory is, is that he's gone back to August 1st, 2014, but I think he's gone back much later than that. And that's just when they closed down Kansas City. The city is pretty much deserted now. So I don't think we actually have a date for when in the future he goes to. It's just after August 1st, 2014. Even though in the way I look at this, it's irrelevant since it's not happening in any reality. Dean gets no cell phone signal. He finally hotwires a car, gets no radio reception. There's not much other life out there. And then Zachariah appears in the seat beside Dean reading the newspaper and informing Dean that the Croatoan pandemic has reached Australia. Like it's taken over the whole planet. He's just going down the list of everything that Dean would find horrifying. President Palin, you know, (laughs) that's horrifying enough on its own. Bombing Houston because it was a Croatoan hotspot. They just bombed the whole city. And having lived through an actual pandemic now, I can't even imagine a pandemic bad enough to caused the U.S. government to start bombing its own citizens. Dean asked Zachariah how he found him because he's supposed to be hidden from all angels. Zachariah admits that it was the little preacher on the street. They had to tap some unorthodox resources. Dean wants to be sent home immediately. And Zachariah's like, oh yes, all in good time. We want you to marinate for three days and see where this current course of action will take you. And there's no foundational reason why it must take Dean there. None of this is set in stone. This is if Dean says no. If Dean refuses to say yes to Michael, this is supposed to be the one true only result. Zachariah is apparently trying to convince Dean that his choices have consequences, which we know this entire show has been a series of consequences of their choices. We'll see that much later on, even when it gets called Cosmic Consequences. But yes, it does have a ripple effect over the rest of creation. I gotta point out that the newspaper that Zachariah shows Dean is dated August 4th, 2014. So the whole August 1st thing is at least three days in the past from when this newspaper headline supposedly existed. Is that supposed to convince Dean that it only took three days to reduce Kansas City to that? I just find it hilarious that amidst all the other horrifying headlines on this page about global weather patterns and Canadian aid shipments to the U.S. are slowing down and is homebrew biodiesel safe? Like, that's what people are reduced to doing. But um, up in the corner, it's real estate gets real. And it's like, yeah, we saw what happened to real estate during our pandemic, you know, went spiking way high and then... (sighs) the real estate market was absolutely bonkers for a bunch of people who were supposed to be staying home. You know what I mean? Though I can't imagine who would be investing in real estate in bombed out cities like this. Zachariah just tells Dean that he wants him to know what will happen if you continue to say no to Michael. Just have a look-see. As Dean's driving and Zachariah disappears, there's like fires gouting up in the distance. So it's like, yeah, this whole place is just a hellscape. But we see where Dean was going. Bobby's. And apparently Bobby is dead. He finds the wheelchair with blood-stained bullet holes in it. And we know Bobby's out of that wheelchair long before 2014, right? But Dean knows where Bobby would have hidden his journal. He digs it out of the stone at the top of the fireplace and finds a photograph of Bobby at a place called Camp Chautauqua. Perhaps even more horrifying, Cass is in the picture holding a rifle. Dean makes his way there. It's still nighttime. There's a bunch of guards inside this place. Signs, warning of monitoring by surveillance equipment. So Dean does what he does best and sneaks in and finds Baby, a completely run down, abandoned version of Baby. 
Zachariah just wants to show Dean that he loses everything he loves by continuing to say no. I mean, if he said yes, he'd lose everything he loved anyway. But this is the point. This is the pain for him. He lost Bobby. He lost his baby. He'll lose his brother. He lost his angel. Everything. Even a piece of his own humanity. But as Dean is looking in his abandoned and dilapidated car, somebody comes up behind him and punches him in the face. And we pan up and see that it's Dean punched himself in the face and knocked himself out. And here's where I got my proof that it wasn't time travel. This future version of Dean has no memory of this. He doesn't remember having gone to this future himself. Obviously, this future would never have happened in Zachariah's mind if Dean said yes, because he fully expects Dean to say yes when he returns and for this to never come to pass. But this future Dean will have no memory of past Dean having come here. So it's not a time loop. It's not a projection forward in time. It doesn't work that way and it wasn't intended to. Future Dean, who I'm going to call future Dean just to call him something, (laughs) to differentiate him from our Dean. Future Dean asks how this is possible, what Dean is, and he just explains Zachariah. And that gets future Dean's interest way more than it should future Dean just wants to talk to Zachariah. And of course, Dean doesn't know. He just got dropped here and told he needs to stay here for three days. And this is one of those scenes that I absolutely hate. And it feels to me like Zachariah just trying to get Dean to expose something embarrassing about himself. Yeah, the proof of life, proof of identity stuff you get from it is fine. But Holy hell, Edlund, why'd you have to choose this one specific thing that so many people would latch on to and treat as some sort of intrinsic element of Dean's personality? Do you know how many panty kink fix there are? How much panty kink art there is? It's unavoidable in fandom. And if it's not your thing, you're shit out of luck. I totally believe that this happened and that Dean experienced this and enjoyed it and whatever, but I don't think it's like a core thing of his personality the way it gets portrayed as a lot. That's unfortunate for me because this fandom latched onto it like it was something that happened in every episode and we always knew Dean always wore panties all the time. It was just like, dude, oh my God. <laughs> and it just twists so much of folks's understanding of Dean as a character that I would just rather it went away. The key for me that we learn about Dean from this information isn't that he likes wearing pink panties. It's that it's something that nobody else would know about him. Not that he wore panties because Rhonda Hurley knew that. She made him do it. The fact that he kind of liked it. It wasn't just I'm doing this for a woman to please her while I'm with her for this day or whatever. But it stood out to him and it was something he would never say to anybody else. No other lovers knew of this. It wasn't something that he picked up once in a while and was like, hey, let's try this. It was something that was a one-off for him in every way. But the fact that he liked it is something he would never have told anyone else. But his future self would know that. That's what made it a proof of identity that nobody else would know. And so the fact that it gets blown up into this core aspect of his personality to me just feels wrong and incorrect about Dean. So, yeah, so much for that. The way future Dean describes the Croatoan virus as incurable, deadly, and really scary, and and that it turns humans into monsters feels like Zachariah reminding Dean of just how bad this is. It's worse than just killing people or letting the apocalypse happen and everybody gets what they deserve in an afterlife. It's destroying the humanity of people in the process. Monsterizing everybody. Isn't that terrible, Dean? And even the people who do not get infected with Crotone, like future Dean here, His humanity seems to have been taken away from him, too. Dean asks future Dean about Sam. Where's Sam? And Dean gets quiet for a second, and he's like, heavyweight showdown in Detroit. From what I understand, Sam didn't make it. 
Dean's like, well, what, what do you mean from what you heard? Weren't you there? And future Dean's like, no, I haven't seen Sam since we parted ways five years ago. This is what Dean learns from this episode. He's shocked that future Dean wasn't with Sam for this heavyweight showdown. Why wouldn't you have supported your brother? That's what Dean can't understand. That's the lesson Dean takes. He thinks that they're stronger apart. No, he's going to learn they're stronger together. And none of this can ever happen. Future Dean has errands to run, things to do. He leaves Dean handcuffed in his cabin, walks out, and Dean is like, Dick, yeah, Dean, you become one of the monsters that Zachariah is trying to warn you about. Dean manages to work himself free by prying a nail out of the floor to pick the lock and wanders around camp, but of course gets mistaken for future Dean. First off, by Chuck, who is apparently in charge of all the supplies at their camp. Can you imagine that? God Almighty being in charge of all the toilet paper. While he's talking to Chuck and scrambling to give answers that Chuck might believe, a random woman attacks him from behind. Chuck has to explain to him that he spent the night in somebody else's cabin last night, and she's angry at him because she thought they had something. So Dean is clearly just nihilistically going through every woman in camp, I guess? Dean asks Chuck about Cass, though, and then heads off to Cass's cabin, because Cass isn't going anywhere. There's been so much written about this that I don't even want to talk about this scene. He goes into Cass's cabin through the beaded curtain, and Cass is in there doing some hippie shtick with, like, five women and talking about washing up for the orgy and giving them a bunch of meditation garbage. It's clear to me watching this that Cass is not an angel anymore, but it's not at all clear to Dean at first because he sees Cass in a certain way. He sees Cass as all-powerful, unchanging, because that's what he's always been. He's this super powerful being and Dean's kind of terrified that choices Dean makes hurt Cass and reduce him from that all-powerful mightiness that he admires Cass for. It breaks Dean's heart to think that he's breaking an angel and he's about to see the worst possible version of a broken and human Cass who is nihilistic and leaning full tilt into the hedonism and everything that Dean thinks is beneath Cass. Cass does, however, immediately recognize that this Dean is not now Dean. He's from the past. And Cass seems to figure it out immediately. Who did this to you? Is it Zachariah? And this is Dean's first glimpse of what Cass would be like as a human. This bitter, resentful almost version of Cass who fell into drug use and is usually stoned just to cope with the loss of what he had before. And he just laughs about it like this bitter, yeah, I wish I could strap on my wings and fly you back, but uh, now I'm trapped like you are down here in the mud in the muck which I think colors Dean's reactions to the potential of Cass and humanity every time Cass becomes even just a little bit more human. It terrifies Dean because he's afraid he's going to become this. This version of a fallen angel projected by an angel who thinks of humanity as contemptuous and beneath notice. We all know what Zachariah thinks of humans, Of course, his version of a fallen angel would be bitter and resentful. Cass, however, loves humanity. And even when he became human and was completely clueless about how to go about being human, he still worked to make the best of it because, of course, he would. He wanted to get a good grade at humanity, which is possible to achieve and totally rational and sane. So I cannot see this as actually Cass, just like I cannot see that as actually Chuck. And I cannot see that future Dean as actually Dean. Therein lies my problems with how I have to dissociate those character versions from reality. 
because they break everything I understand about who these characters are because they're not those characters. They're Zachariah's worst incarnation. Zachariah's bad fanfic. Future Dean comes back from his errand with a little convoy of trucks. They get out and open beers. Dean and Cass come out and watch this happen. And Future Dean just pulls a gun and shoots one of his compatriots in the head. And Dean calls out a warning to the guy like, hey, watch out. And he just watches himself in the future, supposedly, blow this innocent guy away. And everyone else around him seems more confused as to why there is a clone of their leader dude rather than the fact that Dean shot their friend in the head. There's also the interpretation of Dean's speech to the other guys as me and him, we've got this pretty messed up situation going. And the camera pans to our Dean, but then it pans to Cass. Is that the messed up situation they got going? Future Dean and Cass... Like, what's going on with the three of them? And there's a lot to be read into that, and I'm sure I've read blog posts about it for other people to dig up. But I'm going to keep moving. Our Dean is horrified that future Dean shot this guy in cold blood. Future Dean explains that he knew that this guy, Jaeger, which is German for hunter, because they're all hunters, right? Zachariah getting real creative with the naming scheme here, was infected with Croatoan, and Dean's recognizes the signs and it was a kindness to kill him before he turned in that future people are more used to watching other people get killed it's like they don't even stop and think about it it's just oh well it was either that or he was going to become a monster gotta kill him first before he becomes the monster right it's like everything that we consider to be the worst you know shoot first and ask questions later ideas about what it is to be a hunter Hunters who are like that, we consider them to be bad guys. Future Dean explains his mission to find the cult. Dean asks where it's been. Everywhere, Future Dean says. They were moving it around constantly, trying to keep it from them, as if it was some ultimate weapon that they could use against their big boss, Lucifer. When again, we know it's useless against Lucifer. But this is almost like doubling down on the pointlessness of Dean even going after it which was his plan in reality before Zachariah got hold of him. This episode won't even teach them that it is useless against Lucifer, because that's not the point. The point is to get Dean to say yes, and forget about this whole other plan. It's going to take you five years to find the cult. Nah, they're going to have it in like five more episodes. Because the demons and Lucifer don't give a shit about the cult because it does nothing to Lucifer. Dean convenes a meeting. Cass is there, sitting with his feet up, drinking, because of course he is. No care about anything. Risa is also there conveniently to provide exposition for our Dean, to get future Dean to talk in ways that our Dean would understand what he's become, that they captured a demon last week who knew where Lucifer was going to be, and oh, believe me, he wasn't lying, and this version of Cass just says... Our leader is skilled at getting to the truth. And Dean is like, oh, torture. We're torturing again. Great. The thing that Dean feels makes him most monstrous of all of his personal characteristics is that he enjoyed torture. Well, this future Dean doesn't care about it being monstrous anymore. It's just practical to him. Dean asks Cass if he's coming on this suicide mission of a plan to kill the devil. And Cass is like, Of course, but uh, why is he coming? Uh, Cass doesn't even think twice. If Dean's going, he's going. But past Dean, we should protect him because if he's you five years ago, if something happens to him, you know, you're screwed. Future Dean insists that our Dean is coming. He's got to witness this because that's all part of Zachariah's plan to see the hopelessness of Cass and that he has nothing left except to follow Dean like a sad puppy right up to his death knowingly walking to his own death. This version of Dean, who has abandoned all trace of his humanity, hell-bent on nothing but revenge, and a plot that is destined to fail. But Zachariah has been saving the worst for last. Sam. And of course, our Dean has to see that. That's key to Zachariah's whole plan. But Dean is already starting to ask smart questions. Why are you taking me? Future Dean's just like, oh, you'll be fine. Zach's looking after you, right? 
And Dean's like, no, no. Why are you taking me? Dean's like, I want you to see our brother. What became of him? And Dean's like, what? I thought he was dead. No, he didn't die. He said yes to Lucifer. So our Dean is processing that this future Dean, that is what made him into this hateful, revenge-driven bastard of a dude who would even treat Cass this way, who would resort to torture, who has no humanity left in him because Sam said yes to Lucifer. He is not just prepared to kill the devil. He's going to kill his brother too. And isn't that Chuck's grand plan? One brother dies so the other can live. In this case, kills him directly. While poor Ardeen is processing the horror of this situation, future Dean's like, we've got to kill him, Dean. And he puts some emphasis on his name. And it makes me feel like this version of Dean in the future is just Zachariah's mouthpiece. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about Dean. This is the lesson you're supposed to learn, Dean. Are you learning it, Dean? And it's very reminiscent of the alternate universe, Zachariah, who's talking to Jack on the beach, pretending to be Cass. And the words coming out of Castiel's mouth are just all wrong. And Jack realizes it. But that's how different this Zachariah version of Dean feels to me. It's a Zachariah version. It's not Dean. This version of Dean is trying to convince our Dean that he needs to do it different. He needs to see the whole thing, how bad it gets. So you can say yes. When Michael comes along and asks you to be his vessel, you just say yes. Go right back to Zachariah and demand to say yes, because that's the only way we stop all of this from happening. As if they wouldn't just round Sam up and force him to say yes to Lucifer and carry on the apocalypse and everybody dies anyways. And you don't really have a better situation than what this episode is showing you. All Dean's seeing is this hatred, this awfulness of having lost his brother to this. This entire ordeal is just Zachariah's propaganda technique. And here we go with another reason why the series finale sucked donkeys. Dean was cocky. I never thought I'd lose. And it's like, our Dean is like, yeah, he knows full well the whole time, every time that he can lose. He's just willing to find another way every single time. He's willing to keep standing back up and finding another way, a better way. And at the end of it, he never got to actually win. And it's freaking criminal. Future Dean just shakes his head like, you won't say yes, because I didn't, because that's just not who we are, I guess. Shakes his head sort of in disgust at himself, or at Dean, or at all of it. And it's kind of like, okay, yeah, Dean, you're supposed to be getting this lesson from Zachariah here, that regardless of how you feel, you've got to change this, you've got to say yes. And Zachariah expects him to. He's just, so you're ready to say yes now. Let's get this deal moving along here. Dean's little conversation with Chuck as they're all getting in the cars to head off, where Chuck's like, you get back there, you hoard toilet paper like it's made of gold. It feels like more contempt from Zachariah about what humans are, and even the prophet of the Lord could be reduced to this, who's obsessed with toilet paper and no longer connected to God or heaven or important in any way other than, you know, he's the guy people come to to complain when they run out of toilet paper. It just feels like Zachariah's contempt for humanity writ large and in the most ironic way. That's God you're putting in this position here, you jerk. Anyway, also hilariously, yes, <laughs> when there's a pandemic, everybody hoards toilet paper because it's made of gold and it was there for a while. So great meme that we unfortunately had to use in our reality. Thank God we got that bit of the supply chain fixed, hey? But this is when our Dean gets to ride with this version of Cass, who's got to confess that he's basically human now and all he does is drugs to manipulate his consciousness and he was a member of a much better club until he fell into humanity and he's kind of resentful about it but does the best he can and has sunk into decadence as his way of coping with it. And I already talked about the previously written scene in the 
opening segment of this podcast, so I'm just going to keep skimming. Cass does describe himself as basically useless. When he broke his foot, he was laid up for two months, and Dean is just absorbing this and thinking about what it would mean for Castiel to lose his grace, to become human, thinking that this is the only inevitable result of that just breaks something in Dean. In the previous episode, he was encouraging Cass to indulge in iniquity, pushed him into a brothel and gave him beer and was encouraging him to experience human things and the wonder of it all. And after this episode, he's never going to push Cass into any of that again. And he's going to be markedly uncomfortable when Cass does go after anything like that again. Even later this season, when Cass drinks a whole liquor store to get drunk, Dean's kind of horrified by it because of this. And he may have been proud of Cass for doing something like that before. Like he said here, glad the stick's out of your ass. But I do think that this is a fundamental bit of information and observation on Dean's part that will color how he sees Castiel for the rest of the series. And it's not until far, far later that he begins to really see Cass as anything close to human again, even when he is human. He's going to be terrified that Cass is just broken and not just a human, and that wouldn't be his choice. Dean doesn't think Cass would ever choose that for himself. It just happened to him here, and he hates it. But the whole series is pushing Cass to make that choice for himself, It's showing him the full spectrum of humanity and not just the horrific events that lead to this particular scenario where he expressed himself in these horrifying ways. Just like Dean would not become that philandering torturer who has no regard for human life at all in this Croatoan future, Dean can't see himself becoming that. He can see the levers that may have tripped to push him there, but he's going to do everything in his power to stop any of those things from happening. Regardless, I don't think our Dean could become that future Dean. I don't think he could treat Cass in the ways that that version of Dean did to push Cass into this. I think all of it is just Zachariah's worst case scenario fan fiction, as I've said before, and I'll probably say again. They walk through this supposed Croatoan hot zone filled with infected people, and they encounter nothing except more devastation, which is already should be sending up red flags for everybody. They were expecting to have a constant battle on their way there until they get to the sanitarium where apparently Lucifer is holed up. Future Dean looks up at this building and points out their point of entry. It's like, that's where we go in. They'll never expect us. And even when Risa starts questioning the logic of this, Dean's like, oh yeah, trust me, it's going to be fine. Every, they're not going to expect us at all. She and Cass exchange a look like, yeah, this is going to go real bad. But our Dean recognizes it for what it is and pulls future Dean aside and questions him. You're sending them all in there into a trap just to be a distraction. You know you're sending them all to their deaths, even Cass. Future Dean explains to our Dean that the place was supposed to be crawling with croats and they cleared a path for them. This is a trap. The whole thing is a setup. The whole thing is part of Zachariah's little scenario that Dean needs to witness. And that's when Dean recognizes it. He tells Future Dean, you're making decisions that I would never make. Sending all of your friends into a meat grinder as a decoy, even Cass. Future Dean turns that right back around on him. Yeah, you wouldn't make that decision, which is one of the reasons we're in this mess, actually, because you wouldn't do what was necessary. These people trust me to kill the devil and save the world, and that's what we're going to do. And our Dean is like, nah, not like this. You're not sacrificing all of them. Future Dean is just frustrated by this and punches him out and goes on and executes the plan anyway. That's proof that Zachariah's plan is failed. This cannot be a version of the truth of the future. That whole thing that Dean said, these people trust me to kill the devil and save the world. 
That's Zachariah using Dean's face to talk. It even sounds like Zachariah. You want to kill the devil? We want you to kill the devil. From the season premiere episode. It's Zachariah's words. Dean wakes up alone and there's gunfire going off in all the windows upstairs where Dean had said they were going to breach the building. It's obviously not going well for all those people. For all he knows, they're all already dead or will be any moment now, even Cass. Dean runs around to the back of the building where future Dean was going to be confronting Lucifer in Sam's body, just in time to watch Sam, Lucifer, crush future Dean's neck. Future Dean looks right in his eyes as he dies, like, this is all on you. You have the power to avoid this fate. And the cult is just lying on the ground at Sam Lucifer's feet. Even this version of Sam as Lucifer doesn't quite mesh up with the version of Sam as Lucifer that we will see in the season finale. He's much more smarmy, more Zachariah-ish. I can't explain it, but it doesn't feel like the same being in Sam. Lucifer tells Dean he doesn't want to damage the planet. Oh gosh, no, we know he just wants all the people gone. He hates humans, not the planet. When Dean says destroy the planet, he means kill humanity. When Lucifer says, oh no, I love this planet, he means as long as the humans aren't here. They mean different things. But Lucifer then tells the story of how he fell from grace. He loved God too much, more than anything. And that phrase reminded me of the brainwashing of, I love you more than anything, lover, from a previous Edland episode with the wishing well and the guy who just wanted his crush object to love him more than anything and how the wishes all went bad. Yeah, (laughs) it makes me associate Lucifer with the wishes going bad and this brainwashing into single-minded devotion that was Lucifer's downfall. It wasn't loving God too much. It was the fact that he couldn't love anything else. You can just feel the contempt radiating off of Lucifer, describing how he feels about humanity. And something about this appeals to the self-hatred in Dean. When God commanded his angels to love humanity more than him, Lucifer was like, I can't. They're flawed, murderous. Lucifer's begging Dean to understand his point of view. Does my punishment fit the crime? Did I deserve to be cast into hell for that? Especially because I was right, judging Dean on his murderousness, on this version of Dean that he just watched, having lost all of his own humanity, be killed by Lucifer. Yeah, Lucifer, you're one to talk. Dean might hate himself, though. You can see the tears welling up in his eyes as he's saying it. He tells Lucifer point blank, I'm not buying your crap. Lucifer then tries to walk away. He's like, I like you, Dean. I'll see you again soon, I'm sure. Dean's like, you better kill me right now, because if you don't, I will find a way to kill you. Lucifer turns back around and is like, but you won't say yes to Michael, will you? Aside from that, you don't stand a chance. And I know you won't kill Sam. We have to assume that's the reason given for why future Dean is lying dead on the ground over there, because he couldn't pull the trigger and kill Sam. At the last minute, he knew Sam was in there and he couldn't do it, apparently. He failed. That's what's implied here. And then we get the we'll always end up here line, which isn't even Lucifer. It's Zachariah. We'll always end up here. Well, we know what happens with Zachariah, don't we? Mm-hmm. Dean makes good on his threat from the first time he met Zachariah to stab him in the face. We'll always end up there. But we'll always end up here is one of the most horrible things on the show that it gets misattributed so often as being a truthful thing that Lucifer said Because it was cosmically true and unavoidable. That's like saying, well, of course Sam and Dean fought the apocalypse. They both said yes to their respective angels and battled out just as it was written it should happen. And just as Chuck wanted it to happen. Why? Why would it always end up here? 
that's supposed to be what we're fighting against happening, that it shouldn't always end up there because that's the author's story that he wants to tell. The characters who have free will and are fighting back against that story should never end up there, ever, because that's bad storytelling. And the fact that they end up there kind of kind of makes it bad. Okay, moving on. Lucifer even doubles down on it. Whatever choices you make, whatever details you alter, we will always end up here. And he says it as he's looking around this rose garden at this abandoned asylum. And it's like, dude, no, you're never actually going to be back there again, ever. (laughs) Never. You won't end up here. This isn't where anything happens in the future in this series. Sorry, but I win, so I win. That's pretty much Chuck's line, because this is Chuck's story. The story that Zachariah is trying to bring to fruition isn't Zachariah's story. It's Chuck's, and he doesn't even know it, and he's mocking the author. Boy, is that guy's face going to be red when he finds out. Well, it's going to be red with his own blood when Dean stabs him in it. Lucifer then zaps out in a flash of lightning with a ominous, see you in five years, Dean. No, we'll see you in five episodes, you dumbass. Anyway, and then Dean turns around and Zachariah is standing there and taps him on the forehead and Dean blacks out. Back in Dean's motel room that he remembered passing out in or remembered at least being in before, But Zachariah's line to him is, you saw it all, right? You see what happens? So Dean, just say yes. You can put an end to all of that. None of that horror has to ever come to pass. Dean even questions it. How do I know this isn't just one of your tricks? Angel hocus pocus. And Zachariah just says the time for tricks is over. Like, yeah, they're on to direct manipulation now. And Zachariah's final word is say yes to Michael now before Lucifer can get to Sam. Right now, Lucifer is in a different vessel. Sam wouldn't have to participate in this at all if Dean just said yes right now. And it's probably at least a little bit tempting, but Dean is not about to cave. But as terrified as he is of the prospect after Zachariah tacks on Say yes before billions die, putting all of those lives on Dean's shoulders as if it will all be his fault for not just saying yes. Dean walks away, turns his back on Zachariah and is just like, nah. And you can see how conflicted he is about this and how difficult it is for him to bear this burden. But he won't do that. Zachariah is like, so you haven't learned your lesson yet? And Dean's like, oh, I learned a lesson, just not the one you wanted to teach. And Zachariah's like, I'll just have to teach it again. And he's about to put him through another ringer of a scenario when Dean just disappears. And he appears on the roadside right beside Cass. We had an appointment. Dean's like, that was pretty nice timing there, Cass. And this delights Dean. He reaches out, grabs Cass by the shoulder and is like, don't ever change. Not just from, you know, the whole stick up your ass angel thing, but just do not become that version of yourself that I saw that hated humanity, that was just reveling in decadence because he had nothing else to live for. Like, don't become that guy. Dean will do anything in his power to prevent Cass from becoming that guy. And his relief here that Cass is still Cass, the Cass he knows and loves, is going to power a lot of the future miscommunication between them because Cass will be saying something and Dean will just not fully hear it or not want to hear it or be afraid to approach it. Every time they have a conversation, it's like, why do you think I came back from the dead? Oh, it's because we needed you, you know? And, you know, the whole, yes, oh yeah, you can be a good soldier, not because we care about you as a person. And anytime Cass does anything slightly human, Dean tries to wave it away as an anomaly or something cute rather than Cass actually growing and changing and evolving an understanding of humanity that's just so much deeper than that poor version that Zachariah postulated that was just thrown into it 
and had his whole identity stripped from him rather than being able to experience it on his own terms and choose it for himself, which is, I think, the main point of Cass's entire character arc for the entire series. And it sort of gets erased in the finale. But then we learn the lesson that Dean took away from the whole experience. He calls Sam. As a gesture of solidarity, Dean pulls out the demon knife and hands it to Sam. If you want back in, you should hang on to this. I'm sure you're rusty because Sam hasn't been hunting for a while. But also giving Sam this instrument to kill demons, to extract demon blood, the thing that had plagued Sam for over a year and the thing that Dean had been terrified that Sam was going to fall back into, that it was going to be an obsession, an addiction that Sam couldn't get past. And Dean had tried to keep him away from demons. And now he's handing him the knife specifically that kills demons. That is a huge unspoken expression of trust. Sam asked Dean what made him change his mind. Dean's like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I'm kind of wondering if Dean ever even told Sam about everything he saw in that horrific future. Does he ever tell anyone what he saw? I don't think he tells Cass. I'd really like him to. I've written several fics where he actually does just to process that horror for himself and see through what he was manipulated into believing after that, even if it was just out of fear. But here with Sam, yeah, they are stronger together. When the enemy wants you divided, you're stronger together. Dean tells Sam, we keep each other human because they've both had brushes with what it is to be monstrous. Dean saw what happened to him after losing Sam in that vision, and it's not good. It's not human. It's not monstrous. Their own humanity is worth something, too. Sam is genuinely grateful to Dean for accepting him back. Like, he can't even express how much he appreciates it. So what do we do now? Dean's like, so how about we make our own future? And yes, that's what they were supposed to do at the end of the series. Make their own future, not just rehash the worst plot points of Chuck's. But see, back then, Sam replies, guess we have no choice. That's all they can do is make their own future. It's like, well, maybe you should have been able to do it with the choice to choose what you wanted from your own future instead of just choosing which path to take to fight Chuck's little story plot. Because at the end of the series, it's like the thing that they lost wasn't Chuck's story plot. It was the ability to choose. And they just stopped caring. Like their free will was just completely gone. And they just went along with the story without protest, no matter what happened. It was just like everything was too easy. That's not how anything works. (sighs) Anyway. It's either dwell on this episode and how much even this episode that causes me anxiety and pain still debunks the series finale or move on with our lives. And I, for one, am choosing to move on with my life. But for everybody else, there's plenty of reading to do on this one. I have written so many words on this one and I just am done rehashing it, I think. And I think I more than covered everything I wanted to in this episode. So I'm ready to move on to season five, episode five, Fallen Idols. You know, Dane gets beat up by Paris Hilton. Fun. Until then, you can find me on Tumblr and Twitter because, yeah, amazingly, Twitter still hasn't exploded. At Mittens Morgul, I'm only SPN George on Tumblr now. Or you can find me on Discord at Mittens hashtag 4865. Or you can email me at mittensmorgal at gmail.com. And I can't wait to talk to everybody again real soon. Unless you want to talk about this episode, then I, I, I can wait. I mean, if anyone has any questions about like how I see it, I'm totally happy to talk about that. But if anyone's like, oh, but don't you think it could really be a... No. No, I don't. This is how I have to look at it to maintain my own sanity. And that's all anybody needs to know. And I'm happy to explain in more detail any aspect of it that I didn't go into detail enough. 
if it's not already in my notes that I've taken copiously over the years, but I can't entertain other ways to look at the concept of it. I can't look at it as some time travel future seeing. So it is what it is. And I love Ben Edlund and I kind of hate him a little bit for this one, but it does affect the entire series going forward because it is game changing in a lot of ways for Dean as a character and how he relates to Cass. And it's tragic how it affects Dean and how it affects his relationship with an understanding of who Cass is and even his ability to see Cass as a person versus seeing him as a powerful angel or seeing him as a human being. That's irrelevant. He has a hard time relating to Cass as a person because of this for a long time to come. Anyway, better times next week. At least moderately fun, sort of. Anyway, happy Thanksgiving, everybody, because this episode will be dropping on Thanksgiving. Have some stuffing on behalf of Dean and some pie and a drink, probably, because I could use one right now. Anyway, have a good one, everyone. <laughs>